millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Mummy Movie Podcast, where we shall be looking at the 1954 film Valley of the Kings. Before we begin, I would like to thank David Young for suggesting this film. It was not one that I had heard of before, and it immediately piqued my interest. I will also say I do have a little bit of a cold at the moment, so apologies if that comes through in the recording. In terms of the layout, it shall be the same as usual. We shall start with a look at the background information, then a section on the historical accuracy, and finally I shall review the film and give my rating out of 10. But before that, let us set the scene. Right. You are the daughter of a great Egyptologist who throughout his life tried to prove the literal interpretation of the biblical story of Joseph. On his death, that responsibility is passed to you. Little do you realise that this task will take you on the adventure of a lifetime as you meet many intriguing individuals, villains and friends alike. Your journey will lead to many fascinating locations. Abu Simbel, the great temple of Ramesses II, the temple complex of Philae, largely submerged by water, across the Sinai, as you trace the footsteps of Moses, and finally, to the Valley of the Kings. Okay, so as explained earlier, in this part I shall just talk a little about the background information for the film. To begin with, this was the last Western film to be shot on location in Egypt, before Gamal Abdel Nasser, the second ever president of Egypt, 
and the man who put an end to the Egyptian monarchy seized control of the country. This means that regardless of the film's quality, it does very much have its place in history. After this point, due to NASA's pro-Soviet ties and his recognition of China as a communist state, it became increasingly hard for Western films to be shot in the country. This is not to say that no films after this point were shot on location, of course. Two years later, in 1956, The Ten Commandments was also shot on location, and in fact, this film was released just a day after the ending of the Suez Canal crisis, when NASA's pro-Soviet ties were more apparent than ever. Further, Cleopatra from 1963 was also shot in Egypt. On top of this, Valley of the Kings was the first Western film to have its premiere in Egypt itself, opening in both Cairo and Alexandria. Unfortunately, the production of the film held many difficulties. According to Eleanor Parker, who played one of the main characters, and Mercedes, there was a lack of pay and poor hygiene on set. This led to the crew striking until they got what they were owed. In terms of the cast, as already mentioned, Eleanor Parker plays Anne Mercedes, the main female lead. Robert Taylor plays the main male lead, Mark Brannan. Carlos Thompson plays Philip Mercedes, the husband of Anne. And Kurt Kasner plays Hamid Bakur, a shady antiques dealer. Okay, we have now arrived at the historical accuracy section. So here, as implied, I'm just going to go over the film, saying what is accurate and what is not. At the very beginning of the film, a guide claims that Memphis was the first ever capital of ancient Egypt. This is possible, though in reality the answer is a little less clear-cut. According to Manitho, who was a Ptolemaic priest who wrote the first full history of Egypt, Memphis was first founded by Menes, a very obscure ruler of the First Dynasty, who may possibly have unified the country. This would have been somewhere between 3200 and 3000 BC. However, it is worth noting that outside of one ivory label, Menes only really survives from later sources, and there is a great lack of archaeological evidence for him. Generally, today it is more accepted that a man named Nama unified Egypt to found the first dynasty, and some Egyptologists believe that Nama and Menes may have been one in the same person. Either way, the first and second dynasties are known as the Thinite dynasties, as their ancestral home was a now lost settlement of Thinis. This settlement was almost certainly located near Abydos, where these early rulers were buried. It is therefore possible that Thinis was the capital before Memphis, though it is also probable that it was only the capital of a region of Egypt and not Egypt in its entirety. Basically put, when you go this far back in Egyptian history, the picture is very hazy and it is incredibly hard, if not impossible, to give a definite answer to such a question. Despite this, Memphis is a legitimate possibility to be the first true capital of Egypt. After this, the guide points to the Step Pyramid. Not only does he correctly call it the Pyramid of Djoser, he also claims that it was nearly 5,000 years old. This is pretty accurate. The pyramid was likely constructed in around about 
2650 BC. However, the guide then goes on to say that it was the oldest construction in history. This is not technically correct, though it is fair to say that it is the oldest pyramid in Egypt and probably the world. After this, we are introduced to our main male lead, Mark Brannan. One of the first things he does in the film is to punch a worker on the excavation in the face. He does this because they are trying to steal an artefact. When Anne shows her displeasure at this, he points out that the man was not just stealing from the excavation. When an artefact is found, all of the men in the worker's squad get a bonus. In fairness, this does sound like the kind of thing that excavators in the 1900s would have done. There are actually accounts of workers hiding artefacts from one site and taking them to another, as Egyptologists at that site were known to reward workers with more money. This often happened when Egyptologists were working for museums, as it was usually the museum wanting the artefact for their own collection. Anne then shows Mark a statue of a pharaoh named Rahotep. Mark claims that this pharaoh came from the 18th dynasty. In reality, there is no known pharaoh from the 18th dynasty named Rahotep. Though, in fairness, Rahotep is an ancient Egyptian name. There are a few ancient Egyptian princes called this, and even one very short-lived pharaoh from the 17th dynasty. Later, a character known as Father Athemos reveals that he is going to cross the Sinai, following in the footsteps of Moses. He then jokes that there will be one small difference, as he will be crossing the Red Sea by boat and not asking God to part the waters for him. Although it can be argued that this is not necessarily a mistake, there is a very plausible argument that Red Sea was actually a mistranslation in the story of Moses. It may have been Yam Suth, which would mean Sea of Reeds or Reed Sea. I will admit I am not an expert on Hebrew, but even just looking at the geography of Egypt does make Reed Sea more plausible. According to the biblical story, Moses was at the settlement of Per Ramesses, which would put him in the northeastern corner of Egypt, right by the Sinai. To cross the Red Sea, he would have had to travel down through Egypt for a good 150 kilometres at the very least. Meanwhile, the likely location of the Sea of Reeds is one of the lakes by the eastern delta where Per Ramesses is located. Obviously, this point is up for debate. But for me at least, Sea of Reeds just seems like a far more likely location. Later still, Mark Brannan claims that he started his career as a ditch digger. He started by digging small ditches in America and worked his way up to a big ditch called the Suez Canal. This part is a little shaky. This film is set in 1900. The Suez Canal was completed in 1869. When this film was released, Robert Taylor, who played Mark Brannan, would have been 42. So presumably, Mark Brannan is also supposed to be that age. This would make him about 11 or 12 when the Suez Canal was completed. Basically put, it is technically possible that his character would have worked on the Suez Canal, but it is hardly plausible. At one point in the film, Mark claims that all of the pharaohs of the 18th dynasty were buried in the Valley of the Kings, and therefore Rahotep must also be buried here. This statement is a little bit too absolutist. For example, the first two pharaohs of the 18th dynasty, 
Amos I and Amenhotep I were buried elsewhere. There are also some, for instance those during the Amarna period, when the capital was moved to Amarna, that are not entirely certain, though it is possible and fairly likely that they were also buried in the Valley of the Kings. However, it is fair to say that the vast majority of rulers from the 18th dynasty were buried in the Valley of the Kings. As such, Mark's assumption here does at least have some basis behind it, and it would be a logical first place to start looking. Later on in the film, we find out that ancient tomb robbers had taken the treasure from the tomb of Rahotep, located in the Valley of the Kings, and hidden it at the Temple of Abu Simbel. This is technically possible, though hardly likely. The film only specifies that the tomb robbers were ancient, and so leaves the time period of the thieves relatively open. It is fair to say that the Valley of the Kings was targeted by tomb robbers largely during the 20th dynasty. This is made known by the tomb robbery papyri, which dates to the reigns of Ramesses IX and Ramesses XI. Very often, as I have stated in this podcast, the thefts were performed by the actual tomb builders themselves, who lived in the workman village of Deir al-Medina. Abu Simbel was constructed during the 19th dynasty, and so on a technical level it would be possible. However, Abu Simbel is almost 400 kilometres to the south of the Valley of the Kings. Basically, that would be like travelling all of the way across California State just to hide some treasure. So, I think it's fair to say there must have been better and more convenient hiding places. Shortly after this, we see the temple complex of Philae, which is submerged by water. Although this is a spectacular sight, and one that can no longer be seen, as the Temple of Philae has been moved for its own protection, it is technically not accurate for this film. As already stated, this film is set in 1900. The Philae Temple Complex only got submerged by water this way because of the building of the Aswan Lo Dam, which was completed in 1902. Therefore, in 1900, this temple complex would not have been underwater. Towards the end of the film, they find the tomb of Rahotep. Okay, for this part, let's start with the parts that are more accurate. Firstly, the tomb has a couple of false walls that are made of plaster, and it can be seen that the tomb robbers have broken through these. This is accurate. Many tombs in the Valley of the Kings did indeed have false walls. However, it is noticeable that everything in the tomb is just too convenient. For a start, at the beginning of the film, Anne convinces Mark by showing him a statue of Rahotep, and in the tomb, they just happen to see a small shrine where the statue would have sat. They then find a table where a chest they found earlier at Abu Simbel would have been located. Basically, everything in the tomb is way too neat and tidy, and archaeology never works out this way. Further, they don't document any of this whatsoever, which... It's very bad practice to say the least. Although admittedly this is a film and that would have slowed down the pacing somewhat. <laughs> Further, Mark complains that the thieves did not leave much in the way of treasure. As he says this, you only need to glance in the background to see that he's talking nonsense. There are a couple of golden beds back there, a chariot wheel that would be incredibly valuable, and a whole heap of other treasure. Considering that every tomb in the Valley of the Kings was looted, I mean, even the tomb of Tutankhamun had been robbed two times before Howard Carter found it, 
I get the feeling that Mark's expectations here were a little bit too high. I mean, bearing in mind that this film is set 22 years before the discovery of Tutankhamun's tomb, this would have been easily the greatest find in the Valley of the Kings, and would have shot him and Anne to fame. Further, as is always the case with these films, Mark is just plainly a terrible archaeologist, who does absolutely no recording of the tomb, no photographs or anything like that, and happily just moves items around willy-nilly. In conclusion, this film holds several mistakes such as showing Philae submerged in water in 1900, and claiming that there was a pharaoh from the 18th dynasty called Rahotep. It also has many points which, although possible, are hardly plausible. For instance, having Mark work on the Suez Canal when he was just 11 years old, or having ancient thieves hiding treasure from the Valley of the Kings at Abu Simbel, almost 400 kilometres away. These points are not necessarily mistakes, but they're so implausible they may as well be. However, I do get the feeling that some very vague research was done, as they do get one or two bits right. For instance, it links the 18th dynasty to the Valley of the Kings, which is correct, and also tells us that the Step Pyramid was almost 5,000 years old and built for the ruler Djoser. So, although this film is far from accurate, there is a little bit of evidence that some research was done. We have now arrived at the review section, so here I shall go over what I liked in the film, what I disliked, and then rate it out of 10. Firstly, it is fair to say that the cinematography in this film, done by Robert Surtees, is spectacular. This is largely helped by the fact that the film was shot on location, as he really took advantage of this, shooting in some of the most well-known and impressive sites in the country. On top of that, the locations shown have aged like fine wine on screen. They are nothing short of fascinating as many of the locations have since been moved due to the creation of the Aswan High Dam during the 1960s and 70s. For instance, the entirety of Abu Simbel, shown in its original location in this film, was moved to higher ground between 1964 and 1968. During these years, it was cut out of the rock face and reassembled higher up the cliff a huge undertaking. Further, the temple complex of Philae, shown underwater in this film, has since been moved between 1977 and 1980. As such, the film is not just interesting, it is capturing important snippets of history. On top of that, at points this film very much feels like the old classic 1950s epics, such as Ben-Hur and the Ten Commandments. As well as standing the test of time, I very much have a soft spot for these old epics. And so I did find something quite comforting about this film. It very much had the feel of something you'd put on on a lazy Sunday afternoon. Further, although occasionally the script, acting and directing were a little bit shaky, they do hold a certain charm to them. Although I was never lost while watching this film, some of the scenes come across as comically random. For instance, in one scene they are crossing the desert when all of a sudden a sandstorm hits. This is not necessarily unrealistic as sandstorms do happen like this, but it did feel as if the director just wanted something to happen here to keep the viewer's interest. Further, after the sandstorm, the fact that Anne's makeup and hair are absolutely perfect did provide some humour. 
In another instant, Anne is dehydrated and falls from her camel. At that moment, a tribe attacks and captures them. The tribe was hinted at earlier in the film, to be fair, but again, the timing of it just came off as really bizarre. On the upside, I did like Mark's character motivation for helping Anne. About halfway through the film, we find out that he started his career as a ditch digger and then became a tomb robber. It was Anne's father who showed him that there is more to archaeology than this and instilled upon him an appreciation for the past. Mark is helping Anne as a way of repaying her late father. This made Mark into something of an intriguing character, although I do also feel that this point could have been emphasised a little bit more as I missed it on the first viewing. However, even with this motivation, it is very noticeable that neither Anne nor Mark are particularly nice people. Whilst Mark is a womaniser, Anne is a self-indulgent manipulator who does not care about any history that does not support her claims. Further, as already mentioned, there is a lot of random scenes in this film, and whilst these are humorous and catch my interest, it is also undeniable that they seriously hurt the pacing of the film. There is about as much going on here as there was in Cleopatra from 1963, The Ten Commandments from 1956, or Ben-Hur from 1959. The issue here, however, is that all of those films were well over three hours long and therefore had time to tell their stories. Valley of the Kings, on the other hand, is just 85 minutes long and so the film feels incredibly crammed and never gives the viewer time to breathe. The actual writing and directing of the film also relies on the luck of the characters far too much. For instance, on a random trip to the pyramids, they happen to bump into Father Athimos, who just so happens to know Anne's late father. He invites them to travel to the Sinai, and just so happens to lead them to a chest full of inscriptions from Ra-Hotep, which lead them to the next point on their journey. Or in the scene where Anne and Mark get taken prisoner by the tribe, not only do they find them when Anne is near death and give her food and water, they also help them to find the tomb of Ra-Hotep. It's all just a little bit too convenient. There are also one or two scenes that, to me at least, don't feel like they've been properly completed. For instance, at one point, Mark and Philip, Anne's husband, have an epic fight on top of one of the statues of Ramesses II at Abu Simbel. As well as being really weirdly choreographed, there is also no music. Instead, there is just a silent fight which goes on for far too long with the odd grunting and badly done punch sound effect. Meanwhile, Anne stands at the top of the cliff holding a gun, watching them with confusion as she does nothing. The whole scene is really odd and comes off once again as more humorous than it does epic. Although in fairness, I did look at other reviews and this fight scene was often applauded. I personally don't understand why, but it is obvious that I am in the minority here. There are also some parts where it just feels as if the writers have given up. When they go into the tomb of Rahotep, Anne looks around the walls and sees all of the gods. She starts saying, the sun god, the jackal, the snake, the ram. It is hard to explain why this is funny, but the way it is written clearly just highlighted that the writers 
could not be bothered to find the names for these deities. As said earlier, during the filming, the crew went on strike due to lack of pay and poor conditions. It had a very troubled production, and sadly, this shows in the final product. It almost feels as if you can tell when the writers and director cared and when they gave up. To be clear, I do not know which scenes were written and directed first, but I also feel as if I could give a pretty good educated guess based on this. In terms of the reviews for this film, they weren't great. In fact, on Rotten Tomatoes, it currently holds a very rare 0%. However, it is worth noting that this is based on only 5 reviews. On IMDb, on the other hand, it has a more respectable 6 out of 10. In general, the cinematography is highly praised here, as was the fist fight at Abu Simbel. The film is also praised for its general scope and ambition. However, the story is considered to be a bit of a mess, yet somehow also predictable. For myself, I do feel that 0% is an incredibly harsh score. There is, after all, a fair amount of entertainment to be had here, and it is far from the worst film I have ever seen. However, they do try to cram far too much into 85 minutes. Further, I did not find the characters particularly likeable. Despite this, I do feel the film has a certain undeniable charm, and the cinematography is spectacular. I wavered on what to give this one, but it generally ranged between 4 out of 10 and 6 out of 10. Therefore, I'm going to split the difference. I am giving this one 5 out of 10. By no means is it a perfect film, but there is an undeniable charm here, and there are parts of it that I did quite enjoy. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have, why not consider liking, subscribing, burning it to a CD and sending it to your friends via Carrier Pigeon. And join me next week, where we shall be looking at the last of the big universal blockbuster mummy movies released to this point. The Mummy from 2017, starring Tom Cruise. Ish. May God help us all. I hope you all have a great week, and I hope to see you then. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.